chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free, and to now announce that this is God's year to act for you. It's because God so loved the people of the world that he sent his one, his only son, to the world to address and to cure the ills that had fallen on mankind because of our sin. Jesus came not, just, Jesus came not to condemn the world, but came so that we might be set free, that we might be saved. Closely related to what we talked about last week, fear, is the is its cousin hopelessness. Hopelessness can contain elements of fear, but it, it goes far beyond that. Hopelessness comes as, as the result of not one or two difficult circumstances coming into a person's life, but when there's a restless, a relentless barrage that comes for an extended period of time and extinguishes the belief that there might soon be an end to the dark tunnel that we're stuck in now. It's a, it's a layer, layer after layer of heartbreak, of disappointment to the place that a person believes that good will never come their way, that life might never be restored to a place that, that seems normal, that, that joy is lost forever. That's, that's what hopelessness looks like. That's what hopelessness feels like. Between the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, and, and the time that God sends a messenger angel to speak to Zechariah about his son, there's almost 400 years of silence, 400 years when, when heaven doesn't say anything to man. We have no record of God speaking to his people Israel. It, it wasn't because he had nothing to say. It was because they had no desire to hear. They, they had no interest. They just didn't care. They'd lost track of God and they'd forgotten of his, of his love for them. And, and when God is quiet, when God is silent in our life, when we feel like there's not a, he's not answering our prayers and, and that we're not on his radar, that can be called the dark night of the soul. And Israel had such a night, and it lasted for almost four, four centuries. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus that the Messiah that God would send would be empowered by God to bring justice to the nation with a gentleness that did not crush the spirit of the person or extinguish the hope that God had put within them. Isaiah said that the title, the, the, the reputation of the one that God would send would be this. He will be called the one who brings hope to the world. Not only that, but he will bring hope, not only to the nations, but to you. This, this was good news when, when Isaiah spoke these words. It was good news when Jesus arrived, but it's good news this morning for our generation as well. There are many reasons that hopelessness comes into a life of a nation and into the heart of an individual. 
When, when you find yourself in a situation that's beyond your control, beyond your ability, beyond your scope of understanding, when, when you do all that you know how to do and still it's not enough, the problem continues, that's discouragement. When a person hasn't had a win for a very long time, squeeze and look as though there are any wins on the horizon. Discouragement can come and it can squeeze the little bit of hope that you have right out of you. When you have had disappointment after disappointment, and it seems that no one is in your corner fighting for you, you, you start to question who you are. You, you, you start to, to wonder where God is, why you can't catch a break. Doubt can steal your hope. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says that when hope is deferred, or the hope of a dream that drags on and on without coming to pass... It, it, it brings depression. It, it makes your heart sick. And so delay for what is needed, what is hoped for, can snuff out your hope. Living in constant, unrelenting fear sucks the hope out of life. Isolation. When... When you feel like there's no one around, the, the loneliness, the inability to share both, life of, both life's trials and triumphs with, with others of the same heart and mind, it, it can bring people down. It can bring hopelessness in. There are other, other reasons, other elements too, but in the 150 verses of Scripture that I've read about hope, those are a few of the enemies that arise it's not just one thing or just one time, but it's a prolonged collision of, of many things layered over a life for, for a significant period of time that makes hope die. In Scripture, one of the, the metaphors that's used to describe and help us understand hopelessness is the word darkness. The life, the light. The, the hope has gone out of a situation and it results in darkness. One of the plagues that came on Egypt when, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, is, is a plague of darkness that lasted for three days. A darkness that is described as so thick, so intense that it could be felt. It was so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Recently, I was reading of the town of Barrows, Alaska. How many have been to Barrows? You don't want to go. The sun sets in Barrows on November the 18th and does not rise again until January the 23rd. A total of 67 days of night. No sunrises, no sunsets, just the long night of winter. As, as, as I talk about that, you can, you can almost feel hopelessness that settles on you when you think of that much darkness. 
But Isaiah sees 700 years from where he stands into the future. And and he predicts, he prophesies, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That, That people who have learned to live, learned to walk in and cope with the darkness for such a long time, a people who, who live in an atmosphere of deep darkness will suddenly see and be introduced to a great light in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and he will bring a transforming light, a transforming hope to them where they are. He comes to them. No darkness too deep, no hopelessness, no hopeless situation too difficult for the one who's called the light of the world, the one who brings hope to all people in all places in the world. In, in the dark hopelessness of their lives, they were told to hold on to this prophetic promise. Help is on its way. Hope comes to you where you live. Don't give up. Don't let go. Hope is coming to you. I feel like that wasn't just a promise for Israel at the birth of Jesus, but that it's a promise for our region this morning, for Calgary, for Strathmore. I feel feel that we who have known good times and experienced prosperity and now watch unemployment numbers rise and occupancies rates plummet and food bank lines grow longer. To to, to a people who feel like they're walking in darkness, this word of promise comes. Hold on, there's a light coming. There is hope. That that was the prophecy that was the 700-year promise. But what what did the light look like when it arrived? How did the darkness respond when, when light came? I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, because it shows and contrasts the difference between the light and the darkness. One of the darkest places in Israel at the time of Jesus' arrival was, was the very place that religion had influence and had power. I'm not talking about relationship with God. I'm talking about a bone-dry religion. And God had planned that Israel would experience life to its fullest measure, but, but the reality of the day was something very, very different. The, the religious organization that was in place was strict about respecting and observing the rules, and there were so many rules. It it didn't care at all. It didn't care at all about how rules affected people. Rules were always more important than people. And that in and of itself was a level of darkness. Jesus was disliked by the religious uh, hierarchy for for a number of reasons. He he was disliked because of the authority that was on his life, the the popularity that he found among the people, and the way that, that he challenged the motives and the compassion of the spiritual leadership that was in place during that day. And so he was always viewed through critical lenses. He was always under attack, always 
being criticized for what he was doing. And early in chapter 12, he and his followers are walking through a field on the Sabbath day and and they're hungry and so they pick up a few heads of of grain and they rub the husks off and they, they eat the grain. And the religious fanatics, the religious leaders of the day go absolutely crazy and say, you have broken the prohibition of of the law. You are harvesting, you're working on the Sabbath. That same day, Jesus walks into a synagogue and he notices that there is a man who is disabled, a man with a withered hand. And, and he's sitting there, and Jesus knows immediately that it's a setup. Religious leadership have brought this man to the place where Jesus would, would be to see if he would further break the rules and heal the man on the Sabbath and thus break the work rule that you don't work on, on the Saturday. We now join the story that's in progress in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and instantly it was restored and was just like the other hands. This is an important word. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Hope walks into the life of of a man and darkness just goes crazy. They don't know what to do with him. And so that... They come and they say, listen, don't you realize, don't you recognize you're breaking the rules? And, and, and Jesus asks the religious leadership appointed question, if, if one of your sheep fell into a well on the Sabbath and, and can't wait till the next day to be rescued, what would you do? And they all look, they know that the answer should be, well, we'd leave him there and believe God that he would survive till we could get to him, but they know that they wouldn't. And, and, and he says, you'd pull the animal out. So how much more important is a person than your livestock? Yes, of course, the law of Moses allows for good to be done on the Sabbath. I haven't broken the rules. This is no fable. This is, this is no parable. This, this is a clear picture of the battle that goes on between light and dark, hope and the masters of hopelessness. There, there's no joy in hopelessness. In fact, there's a cruel anger that seeks to steal, to kill, to destroy everything good that it can find. So you know that the source, you know the author of every dark hopelessness is our enemy. The originator of hopelessness is not the focus of Jesus. He is called the hope of the world. His focus is the man who is disabled, who who needed hope. But he wasn't aware of what was going on around him. His assignment 
complete in the region for that time. He, he understands the what and the why of the meeting that was called to plot his death. And so in verse 15 it says, but Jesus knew what they were planning. They were planning to kill him. And so he left the area. And many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them. But he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Jesus was aware of the, of the danger of the plot and, and said, this is not the time for my life to end. And so we're, we're going to move on. I, I have an assignment to bring hope to, to hopeless in other places. And, and there was no shortage of hopeless people in the world. In fact, to carry on and do the work that he had been assigned, he left the area where the threat was, and as he left, people left their homes and followed him in the hope that he might help them. There is desperation that is involved in hopelessness. It will go anywhere in order to find hope. And, and, and that's a key to understanding the importance of hope and, and the work that we have been called to. Hopeless people will go anywhere where hope is offered. Please hear me. Hopeless people will go anywhere where there might be even just a small bit of hope. Of the people who followed him out of that region, listen to these words. He healed all the sick people that were in the crowd. Will you kindly, in your Bibles, will you kindly underline that word all in verse 15? He healed all the sick among them. Hopelessness wants us to avoid that word, but, but hope insists that we believe that Jesus is not only able, but he's willing to heal all the sick that are in the crowd. Well, Bill... You just told us about your friend who died at, at an early age, and, and he wasn't. This is, this is the will of the Father, that he would heal all the sick. Well, what about that? I don't know. I'm just going to believe. I'm going to hold on to the promise. I'm going to work with hope until all the sickness is healed. We're not there yet, but, but I want you to see the influence. I want you to see the expectation of Jesus that all sickness can be healed. He healed all the sick that were there. One of the great hope killers in the church today is, is healing. But that's not the design or the plan of God. He healed, it says, all the sick among them. He, he is the same today as he was back then and the very same as he will remain for all time and eternity. Jesus was aware that his work of restoring hope in the hearts of people would take place on the battlefield and that, that the battlefield that he was called to was fierce and that it was unfair. And to the people who received hope in his work, he, he warned them, do not announce what's happened. Keep it to yourself. Don't let it be released and tell everybody that you know. For, for now, I need you to keep it silent. I need you to keep it to yourself. The reason was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. The, the time to let the whole world see that its hope had, had arrived is not yet. 
The prophecy paints a beautiful picture of of who Jesus was and how he would operate. Picking it up in verse 18, the words of Isaiah, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not shout. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. Isaiah said that, that Jesus would come sent by God as a servant, Not as a showman, not as a manipulative performer, but as a servant to people in need, to people who had 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 their hopes stolen. That Jesus was both loved by God and dedicated to doing God's work, God's way, in God's timing. And that the Holy Spirit, the empowering Holy Spirit would be on all that Jesus did. And that he would bring justice to the nation, that there were those who were mistreated, those who had no voice, and he would bring about a just result and he would restore hope to those who had had the hope crushed out of them. And the how of what Jesus would do is important. Paul says that we don't fight. We do not have weapons of warfare that are like the world's. We do not win battles with placards and shouting and fighting to see if we can be the loudest voice in the square. Jesus will not fight, Isaiah said. He will not brawl with the bullies of hopelessness. He will not shout or raise his voice again in the public square. All of this is important because in a moment or two, you will discover that your work is to carry on the work that he began, to, to take hope to the world. The next verse is probably my my favorite prophetic quotation. It it speaks of, of the gentleness of Jesus in doing his work. You see, reeds were chosen as writing instruments in Isaiah's day. You you went out to a field and And there would be countless reeds, and you'd pick as many as you wanted, and and you'd take them home, and and you'd sharpen it, and and you'd dip it in in ink, and and you could write. And when it got soft, it it would bend, it would break, it wouldn't hold the, the, the ink anymore, and so you'd just throw it away, because there's hundreds, thousands out in the field, and cheap as anything, you could you could discard it. But Jesus said, or Isaiah said about Jesus, that the weakest reed, he will not crush, he will not discard. If you're a reed, he will restore you to your original purpose. He he will speak of your value, your worth, by by his attention and, and his gentle ability to fix that which has been broken. Every time. And And he will not extinguish a flickering flame. The candle that has burned down to its its last nub has gone to the bottom and is is fighting, almost smoldering, trying to, to find enough wick to keep on lighting the darkness. 
you, you look at it and there's more smoke than there is fire. And, and he doesn't come and say, too little, too late, no hope, throw it out. He will reignite. He will rekindle hope. Even in the most hopeless, even in the last ditch, last minute situations. He cares that much about the cases that the world says are hopeless, even for the purpose who's, of the person who's been tossed aside. He's known as the hope of all the world. Forget the news of what's going on on the other side of the planet with people that you don't know. Allow your mind just to go through your contact list in your phone and, and pull up names of people that you're associated with that you're connected to, that right now are in difficult places, maybe even places of hopelessness. I, I did that this week as I was working on this. And here are some of my connections this week, just this week. Pastor Bill, please pray for my friend Adrian. He's 21 and he has cancer again. Bill, my daughter is addicted to drugs and is homeless in Lethbridge. Can you help me? PB, can you join me in praying for my niece? Her husband is brain injured and is abusive and she fears for the safety of her and her children. Bill, can you please pray for us? I think my spouse is having an affair. Bill, I have an addiction and it's taking over my life. Pastor, I'm inches away from bankruptcy. Pastor Bill, I don't know we don't know where our daughter is. We don't even know where to start to look. Pastor, my son is on suicide watch. What do we do? Those are, those are some of the darkest, most hopeless situations. Some of the stories in my contact list this week. So the first Christmas comes and Jesus arrives as the one who brings hope to the world. And now we're coming up on Christmas 2019 and our assignment as his children and devoted followers is to bring him to those hopeless situations in our connection and reveal him as the hope of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus speaks to you in a commissioning kind of way. Speaks to me to help transform hopelessness to a hope kind of way. Calls you by name and says, you are the light of hope. You are the light in a dark and desperate world. When traveling in the country during the night and you see no lights, but all of a sudden you come over the knoll and you see on a hill a city, the brightness of a city up on a hill, that is who you are. 
That is what you do. Light has a purpose. You don't hide light under a bushel, under a basket. You let it break through the darkness. You have a purpose. You bring hope and let it break through to every person who lives around you in hopelessness. Love people. Don't, don't fight. Don't argue with darkness. Don't raise your voice to the bully. Don't protest the injustice in the streets with placards. Go to the person who is in need and love them in practical ways. If they're hungry, feed them. Clothe them if they're naked. Visit them in the loneliness of whatever prison they live in. Be gentle in your dealings with people. Be careful to rekindle hope and not to snuff out life. Jesus says, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone around you will lift up praise and thanks to the Heavenly Father who gives you life and hope to carry. I want you to know you are a carrier of hope. There are people who are around you this morning. There are people around you in your life who need hope. You carry Jesus, the hope of the world, and the, that hope is always transformational. The enemy of your soul has one goal, and that is to destroy you before you become all that God has designed your life to be. And one of the ways that he does that is to pile on discouragement and doubt, to delay and to frustrate you, to cover you with fear and keep you isolated so that you will lose hope, so that you will not be a beacon of transforming hope and life in the community that you work in. Never has there been greater opportunity for you to be a carrier of hope than there is today. Never has there been a greater need for you to open your eyes and to see people that God has placed around you that are in need of hope. You were called to be a representative of the one who's called the hope of the world. You were called by God to be light in your world. I need you to know that I was not born, I am not naturally a, a hopeful person. I am not naturally Winnie the Pooh. My, my closest relative in an A.A. Milne world would be Eeyore. It's, it's easier for me to see the reality, the dimension of hopelessness. However, you, you can't get close to Jesus and not have supernatural faith arise in your heart. You, you, you can't be in the Word and not end up carrying hope wherever you go. You, you can't have the Holy Spirit show up in your world and not believe that anything, that everything is possible. You, you, you can't have relationship with the all-knowing, all-powerful God and not look at hopelessness and think out loud, that's not what the plan called for. You, you can't have a deposit of love in your being and not see people and say, I believe, I know that God has something more for you. We are carriers of hope. It is who we are. It is what we do. We are the representative of the one whose reputation is the hope of the world. 
Not only that, but I, I've been getting ready for this message. I, I've been very aware that this time that we're, that we're in right now is a special time. That, that God is up to something. That, that in the darkness that is our, our night right now, there seems to be the promise of a dawn. Uh, there, there seems to be a, a breakthrough that's, that's coming closer and closer to the horizon. I, I was reading the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he and Elizabeth uh, have, have in decades past wanted a child, but delay has come, and, and disappointment has been a dear and constant companion. And, and there's a message sent by God to tell him that now, in their old age, they will be parents to a history maker, to a, to a way maker. And Zechariah says, how will this happen? It's, it's impossible. We're, we're too old. We've waited for so long, and now we're too old. It can't happen. And the messenger says, your words, the things that you say, Zechariah, are an obstacle to your faith, to your hope. So until the promise of God has become reality in your life, I'm going to create muteness in you. You're not going to be able to speak. Church, learn from Zechariah. Discipline your words. As a carrier of hope, speak life. Speak light. You, you bring hope. Don't allow your words to construct obstacles to transformational hope. Watch your words. While it's true that Zechariah couldn't speak, he could still see. He could still hear. He, he, he became very attuned to, to the hope of God and, and has this great revelation of this one who will break through the darkness as the light of the world, as the hope of the world. At the circumcision ceremony of his son, newborn son, he's asked what the boy's name should be. And Zechariah takes and he writes out, John. Call him John. And when hope is realized in the reality of this newborn son, his, his tongue is loosed. And out comes this prophetic declaration, not about his son, John, not about his personal spiritual experience, but about the light of the world that will, will be born. It's a, it's a beautiful word, and it deserves a long and detailed examination on its own. But allow me just to pull two verses out. Victoria and the team, if you could come with that song. Two verses from Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. Because of God's tender mercy... The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Because, because God's soft heart is focused on you and me and those in our friendship circles, because of his mercy that is, is focused on us all, a very needy person, I am telling you, Zachariah said, he's about to send the bright morning light from heaven. It's coming and it will touch all of us and it will give light to those who sit in darkness and those who have to live in the shadow of death. The hope of the world will guide us to a peace that cannot be stolen, cannot be destroyed. I love it. And I feel deep within my bones that it's not just to 
his generation that Zechariah was speaking. I, I, I think he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to our generation. There's a new dawn, a, a great light from heaven that's about to break in on us, and it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. There's a light in the tunnel you're in, and it's not a train coming your way. It's a new day. It's a light, and it's penetrating your darkness. It's hope that will restore the life that has crushed you. It's, it's the answer that you needed to break free of hopelessness. It's for you. It's, it's for those in your world. But it will overflow and overcome your experience and will bring light to those that are around you because you are a carrier of hope. You're a carrier of lights. You're a purveyor all that God put in Jesus. Will you stand with me this morning? In just a moment, I'm going to open this altar. And it's open to these kinds of people. If, if you're here this morning and you've never asked the hope of the world into your life, or you have asked him and then have sort of drifted away and, and left. I want you in just a moment when I open these altars, I want you to come and I want you to come quickly. And when someone comes to pray with you, will you say, I just, I just need to know Jesus? And they'll help you. If, if you have words that are limiting, crushing your hope, taking the life out of you. Words like failure. Words like, blessed are they who do not expect, for they shall not be disappointed. Words like, you're unwanted, you're unloved. When I open this altar, I want you to come, and I want you to come quickly. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. There is a light, and he's called the hope of the world. I want you to come. If there are hope-crushing lies that tell you that you don't qualify for God's hope, that your life is wrecked, that you'll always be wrecked, that, that the best will never happen for you, I want you to know, I declare with the authority that God has given to me, that you are hearing a lie. The hope of the world wants to restore truth in your mind, in your heart. He wants to lift off the blanket of hopelessness and bring hope. If you want to, to respond to the commission on your life to be the light in the world that brings hope to the dark places, you, you want to be a person who gently restores broken reeds and, and ignites smoldering wicks, then when I open this altar, I want you to come. And I want you to lift up your hands and say, here am I, send me. I want to take light. I want to take hope to every dark place I go.